I want to invite you this morning to join me in the book of Proverbs. Uh, we'll start in chapter 17 of Proverbs this morning. Uh, as I mentioned last week, we are taking a few weeks this summer to look at what the, the book of Proverbs says about building healthy homes. And the intent is to look at several things in regard to what Proverbs says, uh, particularly about the home itself, uh, men and husbands, women and wives, parents and children, sons and daughters, uh, those type of things. And so we started last week by beginning to focus on the home itself. And I said we'd do that again this week, and actually we're going to do it the week after that as well. Um, and what we're doing is we're tracing the use of the word house in the book of Proverbs. So if you did a word search on, on that word and you just kind of look to see where does this word show up everywhere in the book of Proverbs, that's kind of what we're doing. And uh, not covering every verse, but trying to capture the main themes. And this is a time for you to look into and examine the health of your own home and just ask questions like this. How's it really going? How healthy is it? Last week, I shared a statistic that stated that something like 70 to 80 percent of people consider their families to be dysfunctional. I mean, that's a pretty uh, crazy statistic. And in the face of such a glim reality like that, I, I think we could be left asking ourselves, is there any hope that my family and my home could be any different? That my household could somehow be the exception to the rule? And the answer is yes. Absolutely, your house could be. Sure, many people poorly construct their homes. That's a fact. But that doesn't mean that you have to be one of them or uh, that if you sit here today and you say, I feel like I am one of them. It doesn't mean that you can't make changes and alterations for the better uh, that would please the Lord. One of the reasons that God gave you the book of Proverbs is because he wants to help you build a home his way, and he will help you. And, and uh, maybe if, if you don't feel like you actually have your own household, this word in Proverbs really is as well as used to, to often just refer to the family. And I think most of us uh, have a family, even if we do not feel like we have a, a household, so to speak, of our own. God wants to bless your home but you have to follow his plan. We began last week by looking at Proverbs 3, verse 33, which I think of all the verses on the home in Proverbs probably summarizes uh, the verses the best. And it, it reads as follows. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. And I think as we dive back into these verses again, I think it's worth just pausing again to reflect for a moment on God's disposition towards your home. The verse that I just read says that God blesses the dwelling of the righteous. If, if you're righteous, and we saw last week that that's referring specifically to someone who's been declared righteous by God, or, or uh, is, we might say simply a Christian. If you are righteous, if you are a Christian, God has special love and affection for your home, and he wants to bless it. God loves your home. And God is for you in this great endeavor of home building. And I think we just, we need to make sure we get that straight and settled in our minds from the outset. No matter what is going on, no matter how bad it has become, no matter how many ways that you have personally blown it uh, in your home or with your family or ways that you have failed, don't forget God's position, disposition towards your home. He loves it. He loves your house. God loves your family uh, even more than you love them. And maybe you're the only Christian in your household or in your family or your extended family. God loves your house. 
And I also want you to know that your pastors or elders here, as well as your church, love your home. Uh, Even if it's complicated and messy, even if it's full of problems and difficulties and sins and challenges, uh, we love you and we love your home and we want God's blessing poured out upon it, as I think you probably do as well. And I think sometimes with our homes, that they're, they're places that are uh, they're so dear to us, and yet often they're also places where we carry a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment. And I just want to let you know that your church and your leadership is for you and your, your home, and most importantly, God is. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So we started last week by considering some pieces of advice for builders, and we we saw four of them. Just want to briefly mention those as we get started here again today. The first piece of advice from Proverbs was to make sure you have God's blessing. If God blesses the house of the righteous, well, how, how how could you have what God wants your home to be if you're not first and foremost a Christian? That's the foundation of it all. Make sure you have God's blessing. And the second piece of advice that we considered was uh, don't start too too soon. And that had nothing to do with age, but uh, more to do with uh, financial and and character readiness. And then a uh, piece of advice number three was to choose whom you build with carefully. You want to choose someone who's righteous as well and who has character. And the fourth piece of advice that we considered last time was to borrow brains. We saw from the scriptures that a house is built by wisdom. And that's what you need. And, and more than likely, you don't have that or you don't have it to the degree that you need it. And where are you going to get it? You're going to get it from God and you're going to get it from his word and you're going to get it from his people who know God and his word. So those are the first four pieces of, pieces of advice that we've considered thus far. And we want to look at two more together this morning. Number five, fifth piece of advice is to focus on quality. If you're going to build a house, you want to focus on quality, right? You want to build, use the best possible materials that you can afford, and you, want a, and you want high quality craftsmanship. You don't want to slap something together with uh, inferior material. You want to do it right, and you want to build a house that's going to last and hopefully stand the test of time. In similar fashion, when it become, comes to building your house and your home and your family and all the relationships of it, How can you focus on quality? Well, Solomon gave us three verses, and he gave these to his son. In the book of Proverbs, related to home building, that all use the word better. Son, this is better than that. If you want to build a high-quality home, then this is definitely the better choice than that over there. Well, what's better than what? Uh, Well, just remember for a moment that this is the wealthiest man in human history talking. And probably the wealthiest man who will ever in all of human history live. He's extremely wealthy. And the wealthiest man in human history taught his son that if you have got to make a choice, then penny-pinching and peace are better than feasting and fighting. Penny-pinching and peace are better than feasting and fighting. It would be better, Solomon says to his son, to have less uh, and have peace in your home than to have it all. You've got it all. And yet somehow you've got a house that's full of conflict and broken relationships. Now, it's certainly possible to have both. It's possible to simultaneously have great, significant wealth and at the same time have wonderful harmony in your house. But a lot of people forfeit the one that really matters in pursuit of the other. 
And Solomon's reminding his son that it would be better to forfeit wealth in pursuit of peace than to forfeit peace in pursuit of wealth. And Solomon puts it this way in Proverbs 17, verse 1, where I've asked you to turn. He says, better. And he's making a statement about quality. Better, son, is a dry morsel, presumably of bread, with quiet. And the idea is peace and tranquility. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Having a harmonious home with little is better than having a wealthy home with conflict. And if you've got to pick one or the other, penny-pinching and peace are better than feasting and fighting. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9, if you would. And uh, Solomon here is going to make another statement about what is better. Proverbs 21, verse 9. He says here that it is better, another statement of quality. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. You'd be better off, he's saying, living in some tiny, peaceful little space. And what's portrayed here is maybe a rooftop room on top of a house. And we're not sure if the scenario is describing someone being married or single or, or what the case is. But someone who's living in this tiny, presumably little rented space, and that being harmonious and peaceful, then in a house, having the whole house, and sharing it with a quarrelsome wife, you'd be better off having some tiny, peaceful little space than to have an entire house that's characterized by conflict. Turn over to Proverbs 25, verse 24. And in case Solomon's son didn't get it the first time, Solomon literally is going to repeat himself word for word again. Don't miss this, son. Proverbs 25, verse 24. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. You can have, son, if you've got it all, you've got the big house, you've got it all, you've got... You've got everything, and your relationships are characterized by conflict. You will wish you had hardly anything at peace. Penny-pinching and peace are better than feasting and fighting. I think that the way that uh, this plays out in everyday life for us is that oftentimes we think that our little, literal home is what's most important. When it's the relationships in that house that produce satisfaction, The people of your house and the peace of your house are much more important than the size and the wealth of your house. And we tend to focus on the physical and the literal aspects of our homes more than the relationships and harmony of it. And I think you just have to ask, what's more important to me, the stuff or the people? And if it comes down to sacrificing your family to make more money or have more, uh, just to to live at a higher level, and you're going to sacrifice your family in that process, you would be wise to choose your family over a frothy life. It seems that what happens for people sometimes is uh, certain people can almost view money as if it's this wonder drug for their family. And if we have more money, and, and, and we can give our family more, a nicer place to live. A nicer home, nicer vehicles, nicer vacations, nicer experiences, and we can just pump our home full of money and all that it can buy, then we're going to have this great, awesome family. 
We've got all this stuff and we, we have all these great experiences together. But money cannot produce harmony and peace and joy in a home. And often people who view money as some kind of wonder drug for their family end up finding that what they thought was uh, the wonder drug turns out that they start ended up actually having to use it as a band-aid for the pain and trouble that they thought all the money would, would, would bring. Uh, using it as a band-aid because they thought money would bring all this, this goodness into their family and now they're using money to mask what it couldn't bring and cover up all the pain. Money is not the answer. Stuff and possessions, those things are not the answer to a happy home. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And God is urging you to focus on quality. And I just want to give you several ways where I think the rubber meets the road with the big idea that we've seen in these verses. And one of the things, application, I think would be this, is to take serious inventory of your values. Solomon's trying to put a set of values before his son. Son, this is better than that. For, for the well-being of your home, this is better than that. And you need to be able to sort out your values. What's more important to you when it comes down to it? Is it a career or a business or a cushy retirement or an immaculate home? Is it a, the ability to have a, a large house? Is it the ability to feast, as we read about in one verse, the ability to have toys and possessions and to have experiences? You can maybe have all those things and still have a house with peace. But when when you set up your values, what's more important? Are the health of your home and the relationships of it more important than those things? And yet, you have to answer those questions and just be really honest. What are my values? You know what? Maybe you can have both. But for most of us, there will be points in the building of our homes where we're going to have to decide, okay, which one is it that I really value here? Because it's going to be really hard for me to pursue both of these full bore simultaneously. Some of you might be chasing careers and dollars while simultaneously running away from your family in the process. And there will be a price to pay for that. And the sooner you can sort out your values and get this straight, the better. Also, invest in what matters while you can. Give special attention to building quality relationships and to trying, by God's grace, to build a home with relationships where where you actually want to live there with those people in that home. And that takes time, and obviously you can't control other people. You can try to walk with God. You can try to be godly, and, and the others in your home can be anything and everything but that. And, and, and the only person you can really control at the end of the day is yourself. But are you focusing on and giving special attention to the quality of the relationships? Because Solomon's putting emphasis there. You can, you can feast, but if you've got a bunch of, a bunch of fighting along with that, that's going to be miserable. Husbands, I'd ask you are, you, are you giving concentrated time to cultivating a, a healthy relationship with your wife that's enjoyable and where there's peace and harmony? And wives, same question for you. Are, are you giving concentrated effort to how can I focus on this relationship and it being healthy and strong and good? And parents with your children and children with your parents. Uh, I think sometimes what happens is children get a little bit older. Mom and dad aren't so great anymore. 
I don't want to spend time with them, and I'm too cool for mom and dad or whatever the case may be. You want to have a good relationship with your parents? You need to, you need to invest some time there and not blow them off as if, as if they're insignificant and nothing. Also, I want to encourage you to pursue reconciliation. Don't let conflict rot and simmer. Uh, you don't want wounds to become, be left open and, and become infected. We're told in the book of Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your wrath lest you give place or opportunity to the devil. How long does it take in your household or home for the devil to have an opportunity to wreak havoc and destruction? All it takes is a night of going to sleep with unresolved conflict. That's it. And so God told us in Ephesians chapter 4, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. The day of your problems with other people and the day of your conflict, that's the day you deal with it. And if you don't, the sun is going to set and you're going to wake up in the morning and I guarantee you it's going to be worse. And that open wound is, is going to become infected and it's, it's not going to be good. And if you want your relationships to be harmonious, you have to deal with your sin and conflict and that be a top priority. You don't just shove stuff under the rug. As well, give special attention to your family's spiritual health. The solution for the quarrelsome wife, or anybody's sin for that matter, is not to hear, hey, you know what you need to do? Why don't you stop it? (laughs) Just stop it. Why are you being so quarrelsome? Why are you being such a pain? Just stop. No, no, no. It's her relationship with Jesus Christ that's the answer. And works of the flesh are only defeated through the work of the Spirit of God, Galatians chapter 5. And whether it's a quarrelsome wife or an angry husband or uh, a rebellious child or whatever the case may be, Jesus is the answer in a relationship with Him where His Spirit works in and through you. That's the answer. And God is ultimately the one who saves and sanctifies and helps people grow, uh, particularly even the people in our homes. But we are not absent from that process. We're totally dependent on God, but we are involved. And so I want to encourage you just practically on this whole matter of giving special attention to your family's spiritual health, uh, first to prioritize worship. Revelation 1 verse 10 calls Sunday the Lord's day, meaning that it belongs to Him. It's owned by Him. It's his day. It doesn't belong to you or to me. Uh, Sunday is really not the day for you to uh, willingly, when you don't have to, pick up extra work shifts just because you want to. Sunday is not the day for you to neglect the body for things like sports and hobbies and things like that. Um, When it's called the Lord's day, just think about this for a moment. Taking something that, that... doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to somebody else. Taking that, what, what would we call taking something that doesn't belong to you, but it belongs to somebody else? We'd call that stealing. We'd call that theft. God says, this is my day. Please don't take it from me. And I want to recognize that there is uh, potentially some tension there. I understand everyone's going to go on, on holidays and those sorts of things and get sick. And there are going to be uh, work conflicts that can't be avoided and things like that. But I think it's very important that we at least ask the question, in your house, is God's day God's day or is it your day? 
and we could drill really down hard into the specifics of that, but I just want to put that before you and God, and I think you can answer that question. Is God's day his or your? Is it, is it, is it yours? Sunday is the Lord's day, and you need to figure out your values in that regard, and perhaps some of you men in particular need to step, step up and lead your home and say, this is important. This is God's day. And actually, when we read in Proverbs 3, verse 33, that the Lord blesses the house of the righteous, the body of Christ is one of the ways that God blesses your home. And I think what many of us can do if we're not careful, God's put a blessing for your house on the table and says, here it is. It's my people. It's the body. And it's so easy. Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. Blessing. I, I'd rather have something else. And God, but I want to bless your home. I want to bless your home through the preaching of God's word and the, the pe- my people and the, the relationships. And I have so many blessings for your home w- with the greater family of God. And we're, yeah, but I'll just leave that on the table. If you want God's blessing on your home, you really should prioritize worship. And as well with that prior- prioritized discipleship, God wants you to spiritually invest in your home. And we have several verses elsewhere in Scripture that speak to this matter. Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The spiritually investing in your house. Similarly, Deuteronomy 6 verse 7 says, You shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach God's commandments to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. One of the things I love about that verse in particular, it's, it's describing instruction and uh, pointing your, your children towards God and his ways just in the context of everyday life. I think of, of that verse as describing something akin to on-the-job training. And I think sometimes we can become extremely overwhelmed, uh, maybe as parents, and we think, oh man, I, I need to teach and instruct my kids, and that means that I need to have all these really concentrated uh, Bible classroom times with them. I need to get my whole family together. I need to sit down and I I need to methodically teach them scripture. And that is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And by the grace of God, I think that's something you want to strive towards is is sitting down and teaching your your family the the scriptures. And yet I also want to encourage you as you look at Deuteronomy 6, it's describing something akin to to on-the-job training. Some of you look at your your week and you go, "I, I just don't know how to do this. If you work a full-time job and you start your job at 7 in the morning, 8 in the morning, and you don't get off till 5 o'clock and maybe your kids are young and you don't get home till 5.30 or 6 and your kids go to bed at 7 and you're thinking, <laughs> like, I've got an hour in the weekend. And sometimes it just feels like, how do I intentionally invest in my family? And Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, well, think of on-the-job training. You know, as you're driving in the car, as you're, as you're working around the house, and all these things are amazing opportunities for you to invest in your family and point them to the Lord. Uh, back to this big idea of um, it's better to have penny-pinching in peace. That would be better than feasting and fighting if you've got to choose between the two. Parents, I just want you to think about what you're teaching and modeling to your kids right now. Are you teaching your kids that? Or are you teaching your kids, you know what, we, we need to have. We need to have this and we need to have that. And we need to go like crazy. And this, the, the health of our home, actually, that's secondary to full steam ahead in all of our pursuits. How are you going to teach something to your kids if you don't live it? 
And you may not realize this, but if all your values and priorities are in the wrong place, some of you may actually be setting your own kids up for failed marriages and homes, and you don't even see it. You really need to figure out your priorities, and there's always going to be tension there because it doesn't, everything doesn't fit into a neat, tidy little box, right? Like, there will be tension. And knowing that there's going to be tension, that's why it's so important. Okay, what are my values? What is most important to me when push comes to shove? Penny-pinching and peace would be better than feasting and fighting. Focus on quality and what really, really matters. And another piece of advice, this is number six. Work hard to pull your load. I want you to turn with me to Proverbs chapter 31. Verse 15, whether you are an adult or a child, you need to work and you need to serve in your home. And and that would go with whoever it is that you live with. Maybe maybe you're a university student and you have a roommate. Or or maybe you live alone, but, but you interact with your extended family and spend time with them. Whether you're an adult or a child, you need to work and serve in your home. Your home does not revolve around you. And it's not the place where you put your feet up and this is the time and place for everyone to come and serve you at your beck and call. The home is not the place for you to be a bunch of dead weight that someone else needs to pull or shoulder. My parents had a lot of expectations for us to work in our home growing up. In fact, my dad, he's an electrical engineer. and He's he's like super analytical and methodical. He had spreadsheets and spreadsheets of chore charts. It was just, he loved it, you know? I hated it. But I have to confess that I had actually never done laundry. This is a little embarrassing for me to admit, but I had never done laundry until I went off to university. Um, My magical mother just sort of made it appear day after day after day in my closet, my drawer. Boom, there it is, clean clothes. It was awesome. But when I went off to university, um, I, did, I was like, Mom, please help me. What am I doing? Please show me how to do laundry. Please help me. And once I started doing my own, I didn't even realize uh, just how much laundry I was creating every single day and how much work my mom was actually doing. There is a mountain of work to be done in the home every single day. Every day. And a lot of it's menial and mundane. And the question is, is really this, who's going to do it? Who's going to be the greatest servant in your home? Well, how about you? We're tracing the use of the word house in the book of Proverbs. And one of the places that it shows up repeatedly is Proverbs 31. And here what we have is a woman. And she's extremely industrious. She's hardworking. She's selfless. She's proactive. She looks a lot like Jesus. (laughs) In fact, she sees the needs of others often before they even exist, and she sets out to meet them. And she's portrayed in many ways as this amazing hub, the the hub of her household. And yet somehow, some way, even though she's the hub, she's not the center of it. It's not about her. Look at Proverbs 31 and verse 15. We read of her that she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household, and portions for her maidens. Wait a minute, she has maidens? (laughs) Apparently she's relatively wealthy, she's got these maidens, shouldn't they be doing that? I mean, why not? Why is she doing what the maidens could do? Verse 21, if you look there, it says that she's not afraid of snow for her household, 
for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. She's just meeting the needs of her house. And then verse 27, it says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's not lazy in the home. Also, if, if you look at the larger context of the chapter, she's not lazy in the home. She's not lazy outside the home. And she's serving other people. If you read those verses and what you walk away with is that your wife or mom should wait on you hand, or, hand and foot, uh, I think you're probably missing something. <laughs> and unfortunately, I think sometimes that's actually how people, oh, this is, this is a woman's job. Or whatever they get. What? Like, how do we come to these conclusions? Yes, she, she should be a servant who works hard for the benefit of her home, but so should you. What we have is an example of, of someone who very much resembles what Jesus Christ is like. She's an example of character and love. And we should all work and serve in our homes. The, the home is a place of service and sacrifice. I was recently talking to a couple, and they were just sort of relating on uh, their earliest days of marriage. And apparently they got off to a, a bit of a rough start. <clears throat> and the husband said uh, that in those early days, he ended up sitting down with an older mentor who was just working to try to spiritually invest in him. And this older man said this to him, a lot of men come home from work when they should come home to work. I thought, wow, like, <laughs> that's a really, really good line because it's so true. So many of us think that our homes are places where everybody should serve us when actually we ought to be serving others and pulling our weight. Being part of a family means that you are yoked up with a team of oxen. I know that it's not like the most flattering image, but I think it's helpful. You're yoked up with a team of oxen, and like it or not, you're next in the yoke, right? Because you're part of the family. And you're either pulling the load with the rest of your family, or you're thousands of pounds of dead weight. That Remember, you're next still in the yoke. They're all pulling you. God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. And if you want a house that, that is harmonious and peaceful, that means that you need to work hard to pull your love. You need to selflessly sacrifice to serve others. Men, are you pulling your load and lightening the load of others like your wife? And may, maybe just a question to really kind of uh, get a little bit direct here. Have you drawn a line in the sand saying, oh, you know what? That's my space and realm over here. And that's hers. And I don't cross this line. Like, I do this. I go to work every day, and I take care of the yard. That's my space. What's on the other side of the line? That's not mine. Is that your mentality? Is that what Jesus would do in your, in your home? I think when we, we really capture, what does it look like to look like Jesus? Well, I want to love and serve other people. I want to help shoulder the loads of others. I want to carry my weight and take loads off of other people. Ladies, are you pulling your load and lightening the load of others? And How can you do that better? And are you doing that with the joy of the Lord? And children and young people, do you serve in your home? When dad asks you to do something, or mom asks you to do something, do you groan when they ask for help and roll your eyes and be like, Seriously? <laughs> well, like, you eat every day at that table. Like, mom and dad put their roof over your head, and your answer, your response is, seriously? <laughs> okay, we're, we've all done it okay, so I, like, I've personally done it, I'm sure. 
Are you just doing the bare minimum? And on the parenting side, I just want to encourage you as parents to give your, your, your children responsibilities in the home starting at a very early age. Uh, just think about this logically. If you dote on your children all day for 18 to 20 years, that isn't really preparing them to be a servant in their future home and family. I mean, just, just think about how this logically plays out. If you spend the first 20 years of your child's life never calling them to serve in the home, why would all of a sudden, hey, now they're 20, now they're 21, now, now they're 25, now they're married, and like, boom, I'm a servant. I just woke up and I, I, I thought I should do this today. Why would a switch flip when they get married and start their own home? It's not going to flip apart from the grace of God causing there to be repentance and realization there. Jesus said in Matthew 20, verse 26, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And in John 13, we see Jesus and his disciples and they're coming into the room and he's he's washing their feet. Jesus modeled this. Nothing was below him, not even washing feet. God wants to bless your home but you have to follow his plan. And uh, the two things that we've looked at this morning, I mean, they're, they're actually, they're pretty simple things. Uh, it's like, oh, you know, God wants me to love and serve other people in my home and God wants me to uh, pursue harmonious relationships and make sure my priorities and my values are straight. These are simple things, but these are where we live and where we struggle and where we fail and where we have to repent and get back up and say, God, I don't know if I'm thinking straightly about this. God, will you help me? God wants to bless your home, but you have to follow his plan. Proverbs 3, verse 33, the Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. God wants to do that in your home and your family. And I think what we're seeing is that by default, God's blessing is on the homes of those who are positionally righteous, Christians. And yet the reality is that it especially comes on the home of those who are practically righteous, where where the people in that home husband and wife, or um, children, or may, maybe you're a single mother or a single father. Who, whatever your scenario, when you're saying, God, I want to please you. And God, I want to do what you want. And, and the other people in that home do that. The health and, and, and the good things that come to your home, God's blessings that come to your home when you do that can't be quantified. Um. I think, though, that said, this is where we all struggle is just on that practically living righteously side of things. That's hard, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, when I talk about pulling your load and sacrificially serving in the home, which one of us probably doesn't need to go home and repent? But I want to end simply by reminding you that the message of the gospel from start to finish is a message of grace. It's not a message of performance. It's not a message of go home and try to do better and good luck. You can't be what God wants you to be in your home and your family and your own strength. You just can't. I can't. None of us can. In my own strength, I'm just going to be a selfish pig who cares only about myself and I'm going to hurt a lot of people and create a lot of problems. We all need God's grace for that. All of us do, and it's free and available. And I think one of the greatest places to start is just looking, how is this going, God? Maybe, maybe it's not going so good. God, I'm part of the problem in my own household. God, would you forgive me? I'm being selfish. And 
my priorities have been out of line. Maybe as the, the head or one of the leaders of my home, I've been setting a course that's totally wrong. And the priorities in our home, they, they've been displeasing to you, and that's, that's my fault. And God, would you forgive me? Please forgive me of that. God, would you help me? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to keep, instead of going straight ahead, I'm going to want to keep veering off into this ditch or veering off into that ditch. God, I need your help. And God, I need your grace. And God, I, I, need, I need you to help me walk in the Spirit and not my flesh. Will your Spirit work in me? And when we open ourselves up to, to God like that, and when we lay it all before him and we seek his grace, he's not stingy. He gives it in full measure. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, the Lord said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. You are not strong enough to live in your home the way God wants you to. But God can give you the grace to grow and to change and hopefully live as he desires in your own home. Would you bow with me and close your eyes at this time?